ask you a series of questions. Just relax and answer them as simply as you can. Hi, Rob. Hi, John. Oh, yeah, that's a bit loud. Um, uh, hi, how are you? No, we don't normally do that. Welcome <laughs> to North v South, episode 107. North v South, the podcast that is and isn't about design, isn't in bold, underlined, and uh, with flashing lights around it. Have you had coffee today, John? Yeah, I have. I've, You're actually, very I've, boisterous. I've actually just been for a coffee with uh, a Nick Barber. Oh, okay. Hello, yeah. Nick. Good old Nick. Um, yeah. yeah, we should get him on the show. We should, if he if he would come on. Would he not? Have you asked him? No. He's not that shy in retiring, is he? No, not really. No, we should get him on. He's a fine designer and a good he gent. Is. He is, absolutely. Uh, hi there, John. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Yes, I've had a uh, a strange week. I went to a funeral yesterday, um, which was very sad, as they um, mm. you know that the, is in their design. Um, and it was a gentleman who was 94, and uh, my friend's father. But also, uh, I knew him pretty well. He used to take me out, and um, uh, I used to help do photography with him. He's a uh, he was a photographer of landscape and buildings um so he would do uh you know big sort of country manners out in the countryside Mm. um country houses so he developed all his own film and so i used to go out with him with medium format cameras and i used to just do film running for him really carrying around reels of film was it the medium format cameras that you look into like down yeah Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, Hasselblad's, um, all sorts. And we had like 360 degree ones. He was really into technical stuff. So we had ones that were motorized and they would do wide panoramic shots onto long bits of film. Then we come back and develop. I didn't really, I just used to help him out with those. Um, But yeah, and he did some photography for me when I first started up. My first ever job that I did as a freelancer, I did a brochure and he did all the photography for me for uh, free of charge, which was amazing. Fantastic. Uh, Yeah, and a lovely man. Um, So yeah, it was very sad. Lots of people there. Um, But yeah, he'd he'd lived a a long and fruitful life. So um, yeah, I am. I'm glad I went. Was there a lot of catching up with people you hadn't seen for a long time? A couple of my friends were there, um, but mainly it was family. So I just kind of kept out of the way. I didn't, mm. you know. But it was weird going back to my old town because uh, it was actually at the church where I was a choir boy in, <laughs> back in the early 80s. No, um, late 70s, early 80s. And it was actually on the street I grew up on. So it was very, very strange going back there. It's been a Did long time. Much? Not really. It's a, a Georgian street. With yeah. beautiful Georgian houses on it, and um, and a church at the end. It's a garrison church for the guards um, because Windsor's a, a military town. There are yeah. Two two barracks there. Um, it's quite depressing. I've forgotten how depressing the church is inside because it's just it's before the First World War, so it's um, Crimea and Boer War memorials, okay. and it's yeah. mainly just list long lists of died of disease. <laughs> Just literally, because every single wall is covered with died of disease, died of fever, died of enteric fever. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's 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 it's, uh, it's pretty strange. Florence show. really needed to up a gamer, didn't she? <laughs> uh, yeah. So other than that, uh, yes, um, that's that's it really. I haven't got. I'm still waiting on work to come in. 
I've actually had a, an old work that I sacked off a couple of years ago, trying to get in touch with me again. Mm. Um, and I batted them to play them through the covers to the across the boundary rope. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard, isn't it? Cause I, you know, when I'm, I'm not busy, but I don't want to go back to work with them again, uh, mm. with a client again. And it's very tempting to just say, I'll oh, go on and I'll do that one thing. But it is particularly if you know the client and even if it's not, an ideal job you know what you're getting into which you often don't with new clients so it's, it kind of makes it trickier doesn't it <clears throat> oh Sorry. there he goes to speak talk of clients and he opens a, a beer of coke. It's a coke. Coke no, zero. I'm, I'm off the it's a coke zero sugar so i don't know what this is I'm, i picked it up in i eight. don't really know the difference between coke zero and diet coke why are they running the two brands together i, I don't understand it what's the difference no idea I don't like Coke Zero, though. This tastes more like the stuff you get in, um, you know, sort of self-fill. Yes. Uh, I'm on water. Um, yeah. I'm off the beer, actually. The fridge well, was empty. I've, stopped, I've given up drinking. <clears throat> well, I drank quite a lot in Iceland. I don't normally drink a lot of beer, but uh, we were having a beer at lunch, generally, and uh, a couple of beers with dinner. So over 14... 14 nights in Iceland, I drank quite a lot. So I came back feeling a little heavy and, you know, rounder of waste than, uh, <laughs> than I did when I left. Although yeah. I only put, I only put on a pound, which is miraculous given how much we ate. But, um, I guess lots of walking, of, lots of walking, I think we, but not masses really. We averaged the first week, we averaged about 12,000 steps a day, but that was every day. The second week, there was much longer drives between places, and we only averaged about eight thousand steps a day. But, um, but I guess it was constant. So that might explain it. So, what have you been up to this week, Rob? <laughs> well, I'm working on a commission. I'm, I've really struggled to get my head back into things post Iceland. Uh, I'm mostly every night. I'm waking up, not quite knowing where I am, because we're in a different hotel every night. And last night I dreamt about hiking naked to a thermal spa yeah. in Iceland. <laughs> did so you wake my, up in Tesco? Or I did, Tesco. yeah. It was, again, um, troubling. So it's weird. Uh, I've really struggled to kind of get my head down and get back into things. But I'm working on a commission and I've kind of broken the back of it now. So I'm just finishing inking that. And that's kind of been hanging around a while. And I've got a couple more commissions to to start after that, which should be a bit more straightforward. I've started working on a little book of Iceland photographs, which I'm just going to get printed as a little treat for me and my dad. Um, you know, put a little map in it and a an itinerary of what we did and where we went and when. Bunch of photographs, so that should be quite nice. So if you can recommend a nice sans serif typeface, John. Um, my default sans serif typeface these days is always Proxima Nova. Okay. But it gets used to death. So, you know, if you can recommend another one, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I will. Um, I've been reading, which uh, which isn't doesn't shouldn't sound like a surprise, but since the pandemic started, I've only read one book uh, in, what's that, two and a half years. And I used to read one a week about. Um, so I've been reading Station Eleven, which... Uh, about thought, the Shakespearean troupe going across yeah. America. Yeah. yeah. So it's a I, TV series. Oh, is it? As well, um, which lots of people have been recommending. Um, I like it. Yeah, I, th- I think you mentioned it. I think Jeremy Marshall might have mentioned it. I'm very wary about Jeremy's uh, book 
uh, recommendations because they've been a bit hit and miss, to be honest, Jeremy, in Utopia game. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's okay. It's, I'm enjoying the act of reading more than I'm enjoying the book itself, I think. Okay. Um, I think I understand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's nice. Uh, and the other thing, uh, um, really, I've just been fretting about the talk I've got to give, which yeah. uh, I mentioned to you earlier today. Um, I'm going to talk at the Birmingham Design Festival, first talk I've ever given, and I'm nervous. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, and that's it. That's been my week, really. I haven't been out with my camera since I got back from Iceland, so I'm going to go out with my camera tomorrow into the local park. And I'm not going to take the big lens. I'm just going to take the little lens and take some nice little detail shots, I think, of, I don't know, bugs and dragonflies. And ah, have you got stuff, a, ma- have you got a like- macro lens? No, I haven't. But did I've, I've, t- got, I got, I've got... I Did I tell you I bought one? Bought yes. One, yeah. yeah, I saw some of the photographs you took. I've hardly... It. I've hardly... Yeah, I haven't really done any photography <laughs> since then. Um, I just haven't had time or the mm. inclination. You have to Sorry. get yourself over here again. Yeah. Have a little walk in the park again. I've got I've got a photography job actually in Hampton Hill. So, oh. uh, well, Teddington. So, yeah, that's how. Well, there you go. Yeah, so I'll come and see. You. Cool. Um, <laughs> no, I haven't got a macro lens, and I'm just going to take the. What if I got a sixteen to eighty? Um, which is which is you know fine, not macro, but you know you can get close enough to to have that kind of effect, nice shallow depth of field on it. So mm. that's the plan. I think I'll feel better for that. Might get Iceland out of my head a bit as well. Seeing some greenery. Well, what have I been doing? Well, I had a had a win yesterday, Rob. Um, mm-hmm. In amongst all the other news, did you see that VW? Um, they got they settled. Uh, I their, did this litigation that um, has been going on. So, um, are you up yeah. to the tune of two thousand one hundred pounds? Well, seventeen hundred after the uh, lawyers took their money out of it. Which nice. is a little bit rich coming because they've actually settled separately with the <laughs> VW. But still, uh, yeah, 1700 quid. That's, that's nice. Pay for my holiday. And yeah. uh, actually, it would just pay for the repairs that we had to do to the to the car that we see <laughs> we sued them for but yeah it's the first time i've ever won against the uh, the man although actually vw um settled and they, they're not to blame which is a very modern sort of uh, way of approaching is being, this like uh, taking full responsibility for something but actually not taking any responsibility yeah, yeah having having no no comeback or uh, or recriminations so what a, this, uh, the what settlement a with with no admission of guilt. Yeah, I see. I know, mm. and a uh, hundred and ninety or million quid for yeah. them is peanuts, isn't it? Really. It is. Anyway, so but anyway, that's that's good. That that will pay for our heating bill this uh, this winter. Mm. Um, so other than that, I've been watching. What I've been watching. My, my daughter and I have been watching Gravity Falls, which is a Disney cartoon, and. Um, it's fantastic, Rob. I think yeah. you'd yeah. It's kid it's kid show, but it's about these uh brother and sister that get sent to a stay with their grunkle Stan um <laughs> in the backwoods in Oregon. And he runs a sort of strange mu- museum of curiosities in this wood. And it's about all the strange things that happen to them. The the boy is um 
it's, uh, he's called Dipper because he has a, uh, well, no, actually I won't give away. He's called Dipper and he, uh, he's just curious about the world around him and he starts discovering all sorts of weird and wonderful things. It's only two seasons long. Um, it's full of mysteries. You can get books that are also, um, full of mysteries. They've got sort of slightly see-through pages that give the you name, codes. The name and- rings a bell. Right. But I think, I think if you'd have said what's Gravity Falls, I would have said it was, a. Uh- graphic novel or something but maybe it is i don't know but it's like it's amazing it's a few years old it's not mm. brand new um but she's literally watched 40 episodes she's watched, watched <laughs> all of it but what's nice about it is it's a contained finished story and yeah. all in one go because these things just tend to go you know season few 11 far season between, 12, they, yeah. Yeah. really really brilliant artwork in it it's sort of a mix between 2d cell animation and 3d so a bit like oh, cool. futurama you know it has yeah. sort of cut scenes with 3d um yeah yeah well recommended i will give that a watch and then on the other the, the other side of the coin quite a depressing watch i'd say is life after life which is a four-part bbc serial based upon the book by kate atkinson which is kind of sci-fi um it's a sci-fi story about uh, the sort of the constant birth of the heroine called ursula again the uh, you know little bear uh so um Ursula meaning bear, doesn't it? I guess so. In Latin. My my Um, mother-in-law's name. Yeah. And she keeps being, every time she dies, she gets reborn and and lives the same life over and over again. And uh, it's a fantastic book. And uh, they've done a really brilliant, and normally they ruin these things, but they've done a brilliant job. It's very, very sad because obviously constantly, she constantly comes against, up against, you know, death. Yeah. Kate Atkinson writes these brilliant books about sort of frozen time repeating mm. time um yeah well worth a read the book and and a watch oh sounds um, cool and then listening i've been listening to a podcast that was produced during the lockdown it's a, a historian called paul reed he does battlefield tours of the first world war right. and he started recording his own podcast which is called the old Frontline podcast and what's great about it is it's a walking podcast. So he goes on walks around the battlefield, but he's doing it from memory, from his head. It's it's incredible <laughs> because he's obviously locked down at home. Yeah. Um, but he literally, his knowledge, a breadth of knowledge and preparation for this podcast is is amazing. Um, yeah, really, really recommend it. Each one's right. about 25 minutes long and he'll walk f- from a village through a you know, a battlefield or a, through um, a cemetery um, and explain what happened there and talk about the objects that he's found or, you know, all sorts of things. That so, does yeah, sound incredible. Really, really good. So that's the old Frontline podcast. Uh, what's what's the news today? Have you got any news, John? Well, the Elizabeth Line opened in London, that mm. London, uh, this week, and it's full of interesting design sort of little news bits. One of the most interesting ones that I read was um, the fact that they've commissioned eight artists to create public artworks in the new stations. So there's a whole host of things, including Yayoi Kusama, who I think, is she the Japanese artist who created those reflection rooms? She does lots of dots and and she was at the Tate. Could be. Uh, a few years ago, you go around a room in a mirror. Oh. I found it deeply um, uninteresting. <laughs> I have to say, what has she done, for the, really what she done for the Elizabeth line? I think there's a there's a a, a ball hanging in one of the stations, okay. like a, 
Um, I don't know. I don't know the, the, the full story, but there's loads of design. But I, yeah, it's sort of, it's high, it's being touted as a high tech new line. Um, it's not fully running yet at the moment. You can't run from one end to the other. You have to change yes. three, three, <clears throat> and, three lines. And some of the lines are still running the old trains at the moment, aren't they, as well? Some of the sections of it. Yeah. But it's quite a feat of engineering, isn't it? It is. In, in such a crammed city already. Yeah. Um, I, was reading, so, I was reading about the, the fact that I think there's 7 million tons or 7 million cubic meters of soil was excavated for it. And the RSPB <coughs> requested half of that soil and they've used it out in Essex to create a new wetland um, reserve, which is already, I think, Britain's second biggest colony for avocets. So it's quite incredible how they, uh, they managed to kind of tie in these Big civil engineering projects with uh, with kind of nature conservation. Oh, that's a big spider running across my lamp. <laughs> mm-hmm. Talking of nature, just stay away from my pie. Okay, sorry. Yes, that's all right. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's it, you know, it's always it's such a fascinating thing to see the um, the the map updated mm. with the new line in there. Um, I don't like the single white line going through it. It should be a solid colour. It should. And also, someone pointed out <clears throat> uh, on Twitter that the Elizabeth line is the only London Underground line that has the word line actually at the end of it on the maps. Ah. Piccadilly, Circle, District, none of them say District line on the actual map, whereas Elizabeth line does. Also, uh, a friend of the show, Daniel Banyoth Gray, uh, pointed out that the real test of any new architecture in a, a new sort of civil engineering project is if you turn photographs of the stations and tunnels upside down, do they look like the inside of a spaceship? Um, which the Elizabeth line gets a big tick for. Oh, does it? Yeah. So you haven't been on it yet, no? I haven't. I haven't been into London. Um, it's not a line that I would have ever have used because anyway, because it connects bits of London that I never really... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very much a North London kind of thing, as usual. Yeah. And not, not only does London, you know, London get all the money, but North London gets all the money exactly. too. But they they can't build them in the south. No, it's all mud and whatever, isn't it? Um, a bit of news I saw this week. Uh, very different. It's forty-seven years ago yesterday that Star Wars premiered. Okay. Forty-seven. Uh, Forty-seven. Um, see, that doesn't make any sense, does it? That makes it 1975. That's wrong, isn't it? It's 45 years. Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. Do it again. Do it again. Well, I'll put I'm, a note I'm, in. Hang I'm on. blaming uh, boingboing.net for that error. Well, well, there we go. Um, but the, um, uh, yeah, 45 years since Star Wars premiered, and boingboing had the original trailer for it on. And it is so strange. Um, is it? I mean, trailers these days get a lot of criticism for showing way too much of the story. Um, but it's just weird. It's got a strange voiceover kind of introducing it as this, you know, uh, billions of 
billions of years in the making, uh, space opera, a thousand different alien races, good versus evil. It's really weirdly structured um, film trailer. And I don't know if all film trailers in the 70s were like It comes across as a real B-movie feel to it. Um, and the trailer's dated, you know, a million times worse than the film has. It's really quite strange. You have to yeah. give it a watch. I'm, I'm looking at it now without sound. Yes. And, um, yeah, it's sort of, it's like got this slow motion, this thing coming towards you very, very slowly, which is the title. Mm. Um, but isn't actually... The real titles, anyway. Yeah. It's not even set in the yeah, right yeah. typeface, like Helvetica Black. I mean, I don't know when this when this was done. It might have even been when it was who is still called Luke Starkiller, maybe. That was <laughs> a, a real late change, I think. Oh, was they were it? already filming the film when they changed the name. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so yes, that was uh, that was something that popped up at me um, this week. Style uh, social media was kind of a wash with. Uh, Star Wars stuff this month, really, because, you know, lots of things get announced in Star Wars in May. May the 4th be with you and all that. Yeah. Um, so, yes. So that was uh, that was something that popped up. Ah. Talking of snoring, um, it's a couple of brand stories. I'm going to go with the first one, which is there's this software called Sage. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Like people, Accounting companies- software. Companies use it for accounting. It was always awful to use. Yes. Um, I've installed it in uh, quite a few businesses when I used to do IT in the company uh, back in the early 2000s. It was always going wrong. It was always corrupting. It's a horrible piece of software. I'm sure it's still as boring as it ever was. But I think Wolf Ollins have rebranded it. Okay. And uh, it, it, you can't... <laughs> It's basically, it is the classic lipstick on a gorilla because you go to their website, it's still absolutely appalling. Um, and they've got this sort of semi, they've, they've done the rebrand, but they've sort of half half finished it on the website. So you've got this kind of very uh, blocky sort of first direct, you know, mm. lots of heavy typography. And then they've got this sort of character-led illustrations that don't fit its look at all. Um, but the brand, I, I mean... It's easy. To, it's easy to criticise and not to know why why people did things, why why designers took certain decisions. But they've taken a sort of a fairly boring typeface, and they've made it into sort of well, it looks like sausages. <laughs> it look, <laughs> so stage is uh, the S and the and the G are the same kind of. They're a reflection yeah. of the of the same symbol. Um, it doesn't look like sage. It looked like sace. Yeah. Sace. It's it's it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't understand the design thinking behind it. I'd be really. I'd really like to know. It's very strange. And then they've got these little icons for kind of the different sections of the what the software offers, like accounting and payroll and HR, and they're kind of weird little graphic things that don't seem to, again, tie into anything else in the in the brand. No, and you've got these weird animations that are using the key colours, which is green and grey and black, mm. but then they're sort of smushed up against really bold photography. It 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 look the the website's an absolute dog's dinner. Yeah, but yeah, strange one. Um, and then another bit of branding. Um, it's not even 
this is so boring it's not even true is that it, instagram apparently have had a rebrand they've moved they basically brightened up the gradient that runs behind <laughs> the, the symbol and they've created a new sort of script typeface it's basically taken the their sort of handwritten script that they used as their logo and it's turned it into i mean it's quite nice but it's 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 like a sort of a conflation between a sans serif and a script yeah it's weird they've got a new typeface that they're going to be using for i guess for advertising but this gets me onto the main point of this it's these two things are like they're like rebrands that haven't been finished or they don't have any reason to rebrand or it's almost like they're just so bored of not actually updating their core core functionality that they think they're just fidgeting they're like fidget tools aren't they they're um they're not doing anything and brands are increasingly doing this because they've got nothing else to offer that is new um you know if i was thinking about um nowadays you know phones uh, you know, used to download all sorts of apps, didn't you? And think, oh, wow, there's this new way of solving this problem or there's this new way of doing this or um, there's a new way of, um, oh, look, I can reorganize my life using this checkbox, you know, a list app or whatever. But now we're sort of settled in our ways and, and it's almost become part of our lives. So they've, they've, they've solidified in what, in what people use. So, you know, when you get a phone, you instantly install, I don't know, Instagram, Twitter, these apps. Yeah. And, and then, and then you don't install anything else. You don't really, you know, uh, do, do people install lots and lots of apps I nowadays? I don't. Well, yeah, you're right. We are kind of set in our ways. And I, I think also the kind of phones themselves don't offer anything revolutionary really these days, do they? They're, you know, they're quicker. They've got nicer screens. No, they're, they're, they're these tiny, tiny, that's what ha- happens to technology, mm. isn't it? It's sort of, it's almost like a, a ship in going into an ice flow and then slowly, slowly freezing and freezing and it can't edge any, any forward anymore. Yeah. So then they start, so that the brands then start to sort of slowly, mig- you know, they slowly change. They slowly migrate into, I oh know they don't migrate. They just, they make tiny, teeny little tweaks that don't do anything mm. um, because they're so bored. <laughs> sitting still but instagram going on about instagram a bit more is i've switched to i've started post doing some posts on instagram i don't use instagram anymore but i'm now doing it from uh facebook business suite because i can schedule uh releases and, uh, and move it into a sort of streamline it into a marketing sort of a timetable yeah. but that means i'm not engaged in the actual app and i think this is this is the problem with instagram now is that it's such a an advertising heavy platform that there's no there's no pleasure in using it as an app for looking at people's photography because you can't see anybody's photography see, I, do, I kind of don't get that i still think it's quite a good place for looking at other people's stuff uh, maybe I can just scroll past the adverts without it causing me too much pain. You know, I think the annoying thing for me is, is you know, the lack of the chronolo- chronological feed, even though they kind of brought it back half-heartedly. So you can click a button to get chronological feed, but every time you go out of it and come back in again, it's, it's yeah, reset to you, the algorithm. You just click, you click the icon, right? Yeah. And nobody knows about yeah. that. Well, what? Elon Musk does. <laughs> Did you see him tweeting about it the other day? No, what did he say? Oh, he was, it was like he'd just discovered it. Right? Um, 
you know, talking about how bad algorithms are on the back of all his stuff that he's saying about Twitter. But yeah, it's like, yeah, Elon, you know. Well, I don't know where I was going with this talk, but anyway, I, but it's, it, it means that people are increasingly inactive mm. on these platforms, but still interacting with them by squeezing, you know, by inserting content using other means. Yep. Um, absolutely. And it's not a real experience anymore. No, it's strange. There's no interact. There's no interactivity at all. I don't know if there's, you know, generally social media platforms sort of get usurped by the the next new shiny thing after a, a few years. But Instagram's <clears throat> been going quite a long time now, and I would imagine its core user base is getting older rather than younger. So I wonder if anything will replace it for people like me. Um, I, you know, I don't want to spend all that time trying to build up a new following on another platform. So people like me will just stick with it and grumble more often. I don't know what I'm trying to say with any of this stuff. It's just branding or brands or blands as they're called. They become so, they're just boring. Yeah. There's no new. I know. I want to see some innovation, um, mm. and that's that's what I that's what I'm clamoring for. Innovation, doing something different, doing something daring, not being so conservative. Well, I'm going to follow that with a story about um, incremental improvements to something rather than innovation, John. Okay. <laughs> so, just a few weeks after I bought my Mini Two drone, DJI, I've brought out the Mini Three. Which is slightly galling, though uh, 300 quid more, I probably wouldn't have plumped for it. Um, So it's got lots of little improvements, lots of incremental improvements, John, no real innovation. Except for social media, it does vertical video. Okay. Which given that I think most people who buy like an entry-level drone, like a DJI Mini or something like that, the, the place they're going to show those videos off more than anywhere else is on social media, whether it's Twitter or TikTok or Instagram. So vertical video, and by that I mean it's in a portrait format rather than cinematic landscape, is a really good idea, I think. Do you? So, no, I, I can't stand. <laughs> I, I, I'm of the I, – I hate vertical video. But if I, you're – on Instagram, yeah, sure. The people I don't look at that, uh, so I don't know. It, it does, it's not part of my life, and I see all I see is people like setting up. They they do a funny dance, and then <laughs> that's it, isn't it? That's it. I mean, you can't. You, you know, everything. The world is landscape. <laughs> is it? Though, it's not vertical. Is it yes. No. The only reason that it's vertical is that that's the, the shape. Well, of I know, bones. But, but you know, form follows function. But. Uh, but the so so this thing is it cropping the into yeah. a portrait or does no, it, turn? it turns the camera so you film in a different format altogether? Ideal mm-hmm. for the smartphone uh, era in which we find ourselves, John. Yuck! So can you get the um, the drone to sort of if you say you were jogging or something? Can it? Will it follow yeah, you? Of would it? And so it would just like do a tracking shot of you yep. doing your run. Yeah, which the DJI Mini. Two doesn't have it doesn't have those mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't have tracking, whereas the, yeah. the three pro does. So it can okay. circle you, it can track you, it can fly away and 
come back, keeping you in the frame and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's brilliant for social media stuff. Um, yeah. What amazes Inf- me... Influencers like us. Exactly. Oh, I took some lovely pictures of my dad while I was on holiday of him keeping in touch with my mum. So I saw all, one of them. All the pictures of him low. looking at his phone and pictures of him <laughs> taking selfies in front of waterfalls. It was so sweet. I bet he loved that. He did. He did. Um, uh, the, the amazing thing about this is it's got all these new features and it's got extra sensors uh, for obstacle avoidance and it's got bigger propellers and it's got a more powerful battery and they've still brought it in at exactly the same weight which is 249 wow. grams I mean they weigh absolutely nothing wow kind of incredible and you can still fly this one without a license exactly that's the the key 250 grams or above and you need a um you need to register it but it's still pretty restrictive whatever isn't it what a, any drone or could you just literally get this out in a park and fly uh, it without well you can't fly them in the royal parks yeah. but i don't think there are any apart from sort of airports or kind of national security type things i think it's guidance rather than laws mm-hmm. um i mean in iceland mm-hmm. you're prohibited from flying them in national parks and built up areas but yeah but that's kind of it no they're very cool mm. um yeah i'd like to see some of your video i haven't seen any no. of your videos have you posted it uh, i think anyone? i posted a couple on instagram stories so they were you know obviously oh. fleeting and you wouldn't have looked at them anyway <laughs> <laughs> i'll send you some john <clears throat> america it's um shit sure too too strong a term at the minute. <clears throat> I don't it's going to get worse next year, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, in response to the rise in book banning and burning in America, which uh, the far right and uh, the Republican Party seem to be uh, promoting, um, Margaret Atwood, the uh, author of Handmaid's Tale, um, who you know lots of people kind of see America as as moving. Uh, unstoppably towards the, kind of the Gilead that features in her books. Uh, she's uh, released uh, an unburnable copy of The Handmaid's Tale, and it's made out of uh, kind of all kind of sorts of uh, special fibres and materials and kind of fire retardant paper, and its stitching is made out of uh, Kevlar or some kind of, uh, you know, high melting point metals. Uh, and she's going to auction these these books off uh, to raise money for uh, a charity in America which uh, promotes free expression, which I think is rather rather a wonderful thing. But the video uh, showing this has got um, Margaret Atwood with a flamethrower which is which is not a, an image I expected to uh, to see, but she looks good with a flamethrower. I've got to say, yeah, it's um, they need to do a copy of Fahrenheit four five one. I wonder what temperature it does melt at. Exactly, I made a, a little. That was one of my projects at art college. I did. What's that? I did like an. I did an autobiography of Fahrenheit four five one. The book, as if it was narrated by the book. Okay. That for an art project. Wow. And it was, uh, as you got through the book, it was talking about kind of freedom of expression and everything, and and the book was uh, burnt. So when you got to the last page, you couldn't read any of it. There you go. That's art college for you. 
no wonder I, I did not uh, um, finish. Uh, the other bit of news I've got is isn't really news. Ian McHugh, um, who autocorrect this morning changed to Ian McCacke. Oh yeah, um, has been posting some drawings, and they're just great. And he's he, you know his stuff is just consistently brilliant. You know he's incredibly talented and experienced, and he knows what he's doing. Um. But his sketches, these little pen sketches that he does of kind of little floating buildings. It's one I've featured on the on notes of this little kind of floating shack with a water tower on the top and a little flying boat tethered to it. And there's something about his work that absolutely just ticks all my boxes. And I don't really know what it is. Uh, I don't know if it's just it, it taps into something that uh, some kind of escapism that I, I kind of want to dive into or whether it's just a world I want to know more about. That's definitely a thing. Um, but I guess everyone has an artist or artists that, you know, absolutely <clears throat> rings their bell. And for me, undoubtedly, it's Ian McHugh. There's something about his line work that is so loose and natural, mm. but it's so fully formed in three dimensions just that yeah, so f- you're curious about the shadows. Yeah, and- there's so much character in, in the lines they, themselves. How did he get started into drawing these kind of things? I don't know. They're, they're incredible. Yeah. He must, his, his brain must be fully three dimensional mm. <laughs> that he sees, you know, he sees things. Well, I guess that's a, fully formed. I guess it's, you know, a background in video game art. I, I guess, um, has maybe done that to him to an extent. But. Yeah, but even his lettering, you know, he's just sketched off some, he's got like, what is it, LSG yeah. or something like that. It's just perfect lettering, mm. you know, disgusting, disgustingly excellent. Yes. I, I asked him a long time ago about, because he often has numbers and words and things in his pictures, whether they mean anything. And he says they are all kind of vaguely cryptic references to, you know, family birthdays or kind of that sort of yeah. stuff so it's uh, it's quite interesting to look at it so do you do you do the same with the numbers and letters and stuff sometimes i do yeah um i did some uh illustrations for the weirdfield world book which were these kind of technical patterns which were kind of supposed to be the inner workings of weirdfield engines and they've got all sorts of type uh all over them quite often quite small but um yeah they're all that's all referencing kind of family friends birthdays addresses all sorts of stuff going on in there cool quite nice to put things like that in Mm -hmm. talking of other heroes uh we've got an r.i.p we always say goodbye to creative Mm. uh people and vangelis died last week just we found out during the last week's show didn't we i think think so yeah yeah, it was just that. Um, obviously, a composer who composed soundtrack to Blade Runner, um, amongst others, um, but just an extraordinary moulder of sound. Really, I'd say he's a, a very anthemic mm. and um, futuristic. I think, but yeah, Blade Runner for me was life changing as a kid. Um, it was first fully formed science fiction world that i'd seen that i felt was real um you know i'd, I'd obviously 
been through the Star Wars craze, et cetera, et cetera. But that felt like a fairy tale. Yeah. This this felt like real real life when I first saw it back in 1983, yeah. something like that, was it? Would have been. Yeah, my dad snuck, I've said this before, yeah, he snuck me in mm. to, go, to go and see it. Um, yeah, so we were going to talk about... Um, Music, um, other other classic films. What was your list all about, Rob? Well, I guess one of the first film soundtracks I remember listening to is not actually on this list, but it's on yours, which was um, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly by Ennio Morricone. Uh, it's an album my dad had bought, I think, when I was a kid, and it had this incredible uh, drawing of Clint Eastwood, as the man with no name, uh, on the front. And... I loved it. I obviously had that, um, you know, that incredibly famous catchy sort of refrain to the the title song. So that was very much the first soundtrack I think I'd ever listened to. Probably that and Grease, which, you know, slightly different um, feel to it. But um, staying with Morricone, the Mission soundtrack, in some ways is one of the most, the kind of first real grown-up, albums I think I listened to because it's it's essentially a classical music album. Yeah, um, it was enormously popular at yeah. the time, wasn't it? I remember, you know, parents having CDs of yeah. it, you know, every house you go to. I think it's like a, a good dinner party uh, back yeah. then. But weirdly, <laughs> the album, the, the soundtrack album, doesn't have the most famous thing in it, which is the theme from the mission. Doesn't it? No, it was really weird. I couldn't find it anywhere on any yeah, of the right. listings for the album. But then yeah. if you Google Google it, you know, you can watch a YouTube video of it being played and stuff. But it's because uh, that the the theme from the mission is kind of quite thumping and sort of uh sort of uplifting and quite joyous in parts. And there, a lot of the rest of the album is is much more uh sort of downbeat and kind of brooding. Mm. But uh, well, it's a it's a deeply depressing film, isn't it? It is. Um, yes, I remember seeing that at school in our cinema that we had mm. at school because I started listing off and was didn't want to create like a, a listathon. Um, so I then started splitting because of Blade Runner. Is I'd say Blade, Blade Runner soundtrack is defined by the atmospheric sort of feel that it gives to um yep. to the film that it, it runs through everything. I was watching Blade Runner yesterday because I was um sampling some sounds off of it for a little special uh, soundtrack that I've put on, I'm going to put onto this podcast uh, intro and outro thing. Um, and it's just throughout the whole film. And I've got these new Apple um, for my birthday. I've got some Apple earbuds. Yeah. I think they're the pro ones. ones. They're posh. Yeah. Although they don't have a volume adjust on them, which is rubbish. And um, Siri is continues to be rubbish. <laughs> and so when you say volume down, it takes about 10 seconds to, change the volume mm. um but they have this wonderful uh thing with i think it's Do- dolby atmos yeah. uh so if you've got a dolby atmos enabled device so all the iphones are like that but also telly when you turn your head it's hard to describe but the the sound changes it's, it always stays constantly wherever the television is right. so if you turned your head to the ro- to the left yeah the sound would move in your head to the to the to your right hand side it's bizarre isn't it so it's 3d spatial and i i hadn't really paid that any attention when i first did it i was watching the formula one um season on uh, netflix Mm. those collections yeah drive to survive oh my god it was absolutely incredible and i've watched quite a few films now because you feel so 
inside the film. Yeah. It's it's incredible. So I'm going to try that with um with the Blade Runner. But I was watching the Blade Runner uh, film, trying to get these sounds out of it, and it's just all the way through the film, from dripping water to the massive, expansive sort of organ uh, of Vangelis yeah. to the to the computers whirring, and you know when he's zooming in. And yes. there's that clicking yeah, yeah, yeah. sound of it zooming in. It's so mechanical. It's almost like, you know, like the film Brazil. It's got that sort of mechanical feel mm. to the technology, um, which has now been lost, you know. And and I guess filmmakers can't make any film without putting beeps and boops in it because otherwise it's just it's boring, right? Yeah. Every time you engage with a computer. Whereas if you were doing that all day, every day, it would drive you absolutely bonkers, <laughs> wouldn't it? Trying to well, you'd just in. have people shouting from around the, the other side of the office, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Turn off those beeps <laughs> and boops. Zoom out, zoom out, zoom in. So, yeah, so I started to, um, to define the films into like, so atmospherics, I'd say for me, top, you know, Blade Runner is one. And also the Godfather, Mm. um, there's not necessarily a a tune in there, is there? It's just that constant music throughout the whole thing. Um, that if you can think of any other films that are sort of defined by the, 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 by the sound design all the way through, Maybe Alien. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I couldn't. Has that got music? It must have music in some parts. But you write about that kind of uh, the kind of ambient noise which runs through the whole film. You know, the beeps and the drips. And again, it's another Ridley Scott film. So yeah, um, maybe that's part of it. But um, but yeah, I can't. I can't off the sort of top of my head think of any. I have a weird relationship with film soundtracks in that. I find a lot of them very hard to listen to on their own. Mm-hmm. So either I find them a bit repetitive or I find them too uh almost too excitable because the you know if you take them off the film you what you might be watching some chase scene or some kind of action or some something really suspenseful and I can often find that quite anxiety-inducing listening to the music. So one of the films on my list is um, Interstellar, which is an incre- incredible soundtrack by Hans Zimmer. I mean, it, it it has the same sort of refrains repeated through it throughout the whole film. But I find that incredibly anxiety-inducing in places to the point where you know I, it'll stop me working because I can't think yeah. straight because well, there's a, like an urgency to some of those. Well, June is similar, isn't it? It, it has that same mm. sort of soundscape to it. Yeah, yeah. One, the, so that was in my list of defined by sound. So, uh, have you seen the film um, Under the Skin? Yes. Uh, that soundtrack just freaks me out. Completely yeah. freaks me out. As does Barbarian Sound Studio, um, which is by Broadcast, the band. Okay. Um, that is, and that's a film about sound. Right. So it's a foley artist. Well, he uh, doesn't want okay. to be a Foley artist going to make a Giallo film in Italy. Is that reasonably new? Um, the last few years? Maybe, yeah, last yeah. few years. It's, I remember seeing Toby, something about it, but um, I it's seen. great. Toby Jones is, yes. a, is he, he like records birdsong. Yeah. And he, and he goes out to what he thinks is a nature. He thinks he's recording, I think, like horses or something. But it's actually a horror film that he's recording. So he's ending up slicing, <laughs> you know, watermelon, smashing fruit. But he slowly becomes maddened by the the sounds that he's creating. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic film. But it, yeah, again, that's that's a film about sound <laughs> mm. that is very freaky. 
Yeah, what else? I've got, yeah, so character, and then you get the character music, which is the ones that I can't listen to because, yeah, they're too iconic. Yeah. And one, as soon as you hear, I don't know, Superman theme or... It's surprising uh, how many people can listen to those kind of things, you know, Indiana Jones or Star Wars and and kind of listen to it as a as a piece of music and enjoy it. I yeah. just can't. Well, there was always a sort of Mail on Sunday exclusive CD of like the greatest movie soundtracks yeah. ever. No, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so the out-and-out classics, Rob. So we've said The Mission, Fistful of Dollars, um, Chariots of Fire. Yep. How about that one? That I remember going to the cinema to see that. I don't know what year that was. It's just amazing. That the sound mid-80s, they, wasn't it? They, I think it's – is that that theme? Do, do, that starts when they're running on the beach, doesn't it? Um, what? I can't remember the film well enough to know if that's the first time you hear that theme, but that's definitely what it's associated with, isn't it? Mm, yeah. And Star Wars, obviously, because yeah. the opening music—that's more—that's bigger than the Darth Vader music, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That sort of that—it's <clears throat> almost like you know a blaring, blaring sound to announce the beginning of the film. And then the saddest—I played this to my wife and to Kitty the other day, saying it's this is the saddest music I've ever heard. Was the Deer Hunter mm. the theme to the Deer Hunter? Yeah. That film just... It's an amazing film. Was that Morricone as well, The Deer Hunter? I don't know if he did the, the soundtrack to it, but that's... Is that John Williams? Oh, maybe, yeah. Not Julian Bream. <laughs> it's Andy Williams. <laughs> uh, talking of saddest, though, I think Paris, Texas uh, could be up there with some of the saddest music for a film. No, I've never seen it. Oh, in, in some ways, this is perfect. Because I heard the soundtrack before I'd ever seen the film. Uh-huh. Um, so it's Ry Kuda, kind of that steel guitar, kind of American Midwest stuff. And it's beautiful. I mean, Ry is an incredible guitarist. The music is astonishing. But it includes um, one uh, particular scene from the film as dialogue. So the guy who wrote um, is called Stanley, a British classical guitarist called um stanley myers okay and he wrote it in uh for another film it's called cavatina it's oh, okay. written in 1970 okay um but john williams did do the right. uh the soundtrack okay uh on the paris texas soundtrack there's a, a track called i knew these people and it's harry dean stanton who stars in the film talking and there's a little bit of dialogue from natasha kinski and because I heard this album probably a good couple of years before I ever saw the film, you have to try and make up what this this scene is about. And it's it's really quite strange to then see the film. Um, but it's a, a, this scene of him describing how he used to be in love with this woman and everything went wrong. And then halfway through the scene, she realises who he is because she can't see him while he's talking. Um, and it's it's just incredible. Um, so I, I think you should listen to the the soundtrack. Okay. And particularly that that track called I Knew These People. And Ooh, then, well we'll put that in there, we'll put that in the show yeah. notes, shall we? We'll do a little Spotify. Yeah, thing. And then you should um and then you should watch the film. Because it's a beautiful, yeah, slow, gorgeous Vim Vendors film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a, a track on there as, as well called She's Leaving the Bank. And I think that's one of the saddest, saddest bits of music in film. 
going on the other side of things, the musical films, um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, mm-hmm. sort of defined by our child, my childhood, going to the cinema to see that. Really? And the sort of, the, well, do you remember the interactive ones mm. that you could go to where everyone threw things and dressed up? And yeah, but- I remember being, I remember going to it. And being, I was quite scared, I think, because I was only like 14, yeah. 13, 14. I went to this thing and there was grown adults basically rioting in the yeah. in the cinema. That had a strange effect on people, <laughs> that film, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's not actually that good, is it? Yeah. I mean, but the mu- the music's fine. Right. Yeah, some good, good, some good songs. In, in terms of films that have got songs instead of a, a soundtrack or are known for their songs, um, Reservoir Dogs, I mean, kind of any oh, yeah, Tarantino one, Yeah, film. that's a good... But Reservoir yeah. Dogs is so... I think it was so important for me. I was at college when it came out. Uh... You know, it was an incredibly sort of visceral film. Quentin Tarantino was this amazing new director. And the film uh, soundtrack is full of these songs that, you know, as a 17 or 18-year-old kid I'd never heard before. I mean, it's so American and so kind of of a particular kind of space and time in America that it's just really evocative. And you, it's hard to listen to any of those songs now and not be reminded of the film or of that time. Um, I think that's something that Tarantino does really well. Yeah, I think he was because he was a sort of a massive fan of um, you know collecting VHS mm. video stuff, and this was before the internet where you could just put your hand on something that sounded like something. You'd have to actually go and buy the record or go to a secondhand record shop or whatever, exactly. and and to 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 get that. Re- that reference. So he was, he was very, very good at, mm. th- at doing that, wasn't he? Another one that was good at doing that, that sort of hit the zeitgeist at the time was um, Danny Boyle's train spotting, yes. which everybody had that album. Yep. Um, and it's still got some brilliant, brilliant songs on it. Yep. And it just, it captured that kind of the craziness of the, uh, of the, of the gang as they. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? If they can, if they can replicate the energy of the film, you know, it, it makes them twice as powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know where we finished up with this thing, but yeah, uh, I, was, I tried to get to see what people liked, but there was no interaction with us. We're not. <laughs> Come on, people, <laughs> speak to us. <laughs> uh, maybe we need to do this live and do a uh, a call in. Maybe. Maybe light, just... late night sort of thing, play Misty for Me, the James <laughs> Whale radio show. Yeah. Um, could we do a live one? I guess so. Live show. I mean, they're all technically live, aren't they? Yeah. Anyway, let us know what your favourite uh, film soundtracks are, or great sounds. I, I, I like the sort of the more sort of the the, the whole package. Mm. You know, the film that has like the sound, the background sound, the atmospheric sound, but maybe also a classic um, character bit of character music, like in I don't know, The Third Man, the yeah. Zither in the yeah, in yeah. the Third Man, or uh, uh, Fritz Lang's M for Murder. Right. Uh, has got the the murderer played by Peter Laurie whistles the um is it the Pier Gint suite oh, really? Hall of the Mountain King, is it that? I okay. think it's that I he, don't know this. he whistles that and eventually he's found out by a, a blind man who recognises the tune. And <laughs> it's an amazing it's an amazing film. Um but yeah, those sort of things in, in film are really interesting. Another film that's which is uh incredible for sound as well as the soundtrack is the exorcist. Um, so oh, yeah. kind of famously used Mike Oldfield's tubular bells, uh, 
in the film. Yeah, good one. But it's yeah. also uh, the actual kind of sound design in it is really this kind of thrumming noises and kind of real oh. low, kind of low bass notes and stuff. I went to see it at some midnight showing with a friend from college once when it had been re-released, and he was nearly sick because of these kind of deep low notes that kind of resonate in your chest, and it really freaked him out. No way. Yeah, I was going to say, because it's hard to capture that the sound in your own home, mm. um, unless you've got some those horrible subwoofers that yeah. you have to hide or under your sofa or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. the headphone thing. But my wife hates me when I turn it, turn the music uh, sound up in a film. So if we're watching a blockbuster, I like it to be almost painfully loud <laughs> because that's what you get in the cinema. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, when the last film I went to see was June and um, I just, the sound was so, so integral to the enjoyment yeah. of that film. Um, and if you're at home and it's just tinny coming out of a flat screen TV, it, it just doesn't sound the same, yeah. does it? Um, so yeah, you've got to, you've got to whack the volume up, haven't you? Absolutely. Right. Well, Web, have you got a website of the week? I have. Uh, yeah. Via present and correct, uh, it's called www.espressomadeinitaly.com. And it's the Museum about? of uh, Coffee Machines. Oh, I love it. It's so cool. So they, it's, uh, you literally scroll through to the, some of the oldest coffee machines, uh, up through to kind of newer ones. And it's just this beautiful gallery of of kind of a sweeping technological and stylistic change. And you and they of, could all be robots. Exactly. They're, they're stunning. They're amazing. Yeah. So, they look like they start off looking like samovars, don't they? They do. They're kind of weird, very mechanical looking things and get more stylized as they go through. And some of them are in orange. So um, very delicious they are. Oh, that's too. always good, isn't yeah. it? That is a brilliant website. I love sites that are just entirely yeah. just one subject. Yeah. Um, well, this is one subject, and I, I'm not sure I've mentioned this one before, but it's just the most phenomenal um, project. It's called map.project44.ca, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's, it's hard to say. It's like an interactive historical website that follows the Canadian units in the D-Day landings and the breakout after the Boy. Normandy invasion um, on a day-to-day <laughs> basis broken down to to uh, battalions and units. Blimey. So if you are a researcher and you want to know about a particular regiment, you can follow them and their daily diary all the way through the war using this interactive map. It's a phenomenal piece that is incredible. of research. And I just want to say, why aren't the British doing this? Yep. And why is everything in the National Archives hidden behind paywalls? Mm. Uh, it should be. And in France... The you can get it for the First World War. It, everything's freely available, but in uh, for some reason in the UK, we are we, everything is hidden away. It's secretive. Yep. We should be opening this out and doing the same kind of project because this, for a historical document, living document, is just wonderful. So yeah, go up to it. You can um, yeah, you can just you can play the actual the breakout and see the fillets pocket form and the breakouts. It's just it's incredible. Cool. Pies, I see your wife hates you again this week, John. Well, it's from the depths of the freezer, and the other two I had to defrost without killing myself. So, <laughs> so I'm going in. It's a, this one is a pucker chicken and bacon pie. For, so same as last week. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same, crispy top with a very, very mean sort of gelatinous insides. I'm absolutely starving. Gelatinous is never a good word, is it, when describing food? It literally looks like the inside of. Um, 
like you know of an an android that's been eviscerated by an alien. Oh, oh, oh. I'll show you. Oh yeah, I can't say that looks particularly appetising. No. Yeah. I mean, it's dog food. It, it's so salty. It's you know it, it, the pastry's good. You know, you could, I could just eat the pastry, mm. but the insides is is pretty nasty. Um, yeah, I'm going to give that a five. <laughs> I still can't believe it still gets a five. <laughs> this is nasty. It's like dog food. It's like a disemboweled robot. Five out of ten. <laughs> uh, I've got a pork pie from Robson's Butchers, and we should have a little fanfare because it got jelly in it. And I, oh, right. And I'm having it with some mustard. I usually have um, it with brown sauce or pickle. But I found I bought a jar of mustard from Sainsbury's, and it's their kind of own brand. It's like, I don't know, Mother Hubbard's cupboard or something. Uh, and it's English mustard, but it's it's not got that just intense nasal fire that a lot of English mustards have. It's kind of got a sort of slightly sweet and fruity. And I really, really like it. I could almost right, have good. sandwiches just with this mustard in, nothing else. It's so good. <laughs> so anyway. that was That's a handsome looking pie. Mm. I've seen a photograph of it. Lovely, lovely meat in there. Do you know what? It's delicious because I bought it at 9.30 this morning and I didn't put it in the fridge. Yeah, it's just it's how. Oh, yeah, so can't have it out so of the fridge, can I mean, you? And it's and it has got jelly. It has got jelly. That's that's a nine out of ten. That is a very good pot pie. Yeah. Straight in there. Mm. That's good. I had better prepare to go and get my daughter from school. You know, she, she's breaking up. We've got a lovely inset day tomorrow, Woo-hoo. so she's at home. <laughs> Another ten episodes of Gravity Falls. Yeah, no, she's not allowed to watch TV in the day. Oh. I'm I'm a Victorian dad. Yes, I know. No, we're going to we're going to Alice Holt, which oh, is really? a park uh, like a, a a forest near us. Well, I designed um, a visitor's uh, brochure for Alice Holt many years ago, and it oh, wasn't until well. after it had been printed and been in situ for about a month that someone pointed out that the photograph on the front was upside down. <laughs> Uh, it was of a butterfly. It was of a butterfly. <laughs> oh, that's all right. And the, the wing it had been taken when the wings were kind of down, mm-hmm. and somehow it had been uploaded to a stock library the other way up. So you know when oh, you see right. a, a butterfly and its wings are kind of pointing upwards. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Yeah, it's fine. So be on the lookout for any upside down flying butterflies while you're there. Yeah, I will do. It's famous for purple emperors, isn't it, Alice Holt? I don't know. Yeah. I'll keep my eyes peeled. Please do. All right, John, it's been a delight. I'm going to go listen to some music from a film and eat a pork pie. Likewise. I will speak to you soon. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.